0: All right, so normally I I start off with a a prayer for the catechumens. Um, Our catechumens aren't here again this week. But uh, this week I want to start off with a a different prayer uh, that ties directly into um, what we're going to talk about. O God of all spirits and of all flesh, who has trampled down death and made powerless the devil and given life to the world, Do thou thyself, O Lord, give rest to the soul of thy departed servants in a place of brightness, a place of verdure, a place of repose, whence all sickness, sorrow, and sighing have fled away. Pardon every sin which they have committed by word or deed or thought, for thou art good and lovest mankind, for there is no man who liveth and sinneth not. For thou only art beyond sin, and thy righteousness is is to all eternity, and thy word is truth. For thou art the resurrection and the life and the repose of thy departed servants, O Christ our God. And unto thee we ascribe glory together with thine unoriginate Father and thine all holy good and life-giving Spirit, always, now, and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. So, here's Steve. Hey everybody, this is Steve, and we've spent the last couple of weeks talking about who
1: Christ is and what he saved us from. The next step is to talk about what salvation is. And we're going to start with some misconceptions about heaven heaven and hell. Many people think that if we follow the rules God gives us, he rewards us with an eternity in heaven. And if we disobey those rules, God punishes us with an eternity in hell. So for lots of people, salvation is about going to heaven and not going to hell. But that's not how the Orthodox Church sees it. My favorite summary of the Orthodox view comes from Father Stephen Freeman, who has a blog and a podcast for ancient faith. Listen to do read. Father Stephen points out that many people see the universe as being made up of two stories, or floors. So according to this view, we're here in this world on the ground floor, and God and Heaven are somewhere up above us on the second floor. People sometimes add a third floor to the mix, seeing Hell as somewhere... Down in the basement they see heaven as the place god lives hell is a place god isn't a place ruled by the devil and this world is the place we eventually leave the orthodox christians believe in a one story universe where god is present in all places and filling all things we believe that god made the world and blessed the world and called it good he didn't make it so that it could be abandoned or destroyed he made it so that it could be transformed he made it to be his kingdom but he's in this world and not any other world. It is this life, and not some other life, that were given to man to be a sacrament of the divine presence, given as communion with God. And it is only through this world, this life, by transforming them into communion with God, that man was to be. As Christians, our goal is not to escape this life, to shuffle off this mortal coil and climb the stairs to the second floor where God is. Our goal is to offer ourselves and the whole world to God, not just for the life of humanity, but for the life of the entire world. So if this world is the kingdom of God, or rather is in the process of becoming, being transformed into God's eternal kingdom, then heaven and hell aren't places we get sent to. They're not places at all. And what we interpret as salvation or damnation is actually our response to an experience of God's unconditional love. As we read in the gospels god makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust that very same sun depending on our state can either warm us or burn us that very same rain depending on our state can either satisfy our thirst or drown us it's the same sun the same rain the difference is our response. The difference is how we use the freedom God has given us, because every choice we make shapes who we are, and we'll respond to God's love differently depending on our spiritual state. As Saint Isaac the Syrian wrote, love is given to all, but the power of love works in two ways. It torments sinners, even as happens here when a friend suffers from a friend, but it becomes a source of joy for those who have observed its duties. We can understand this a bit better with an image a lot of church fathers use, and think about God as fire. If we put a piece of dry wood in the fire, it will be burned and reduced to ash. But if we put a piece of gold in the fire, it will get hot like the fire and glow like the flame. It will still be gold, but by being united with the fire, it will be transformed and have the heat and light of the fire and this union and transformation are important because the world isn't God's eternal kingdom on its own just like we aren't immortal on our own you see salvation is also about transformation and as we'll see next week that only happens in our union with Christ so let's be the bee and see that we live in a one-story universe be the bee and live orthodoxy remember to like and subscribe I'll see you all next
0: week Okay, I'm sick. so um, heaven and hell, we, we view them as goals and, and something to be avoided, right, but we never, we don't really talk about, a lot about what are they. Right. One of the important points that, that he brought up was, um, and it, again it goes back to what we talked about last week, uh, this notion of, uh, and it's common throughout our culture, where if, as long as we follow the rules um, and we, we tick off a certain amount of boxes or, or you know, end up doing the right thing, then we're rewarded with heaven, right? It's, uh, you know, and the question is when we, we go to judgment, did we do enough good things or whatever? And, and that's a common model that a lot of people in our, in our society, especially, and unfortunately sometimes in our church as well, uh, tend to have about heaven. Um, Father Guido Starducci, I think we are used to talk about that. He had this whole routine based on it, which was somewhat crude. But that was, that was kind of the, you know, certain sins were worth a certain amount of dollars. And if you committed that, then you started out with a bank account. And if you went to a negative balance, well, then you went to hell. Right? So it's this this, this kind of cash balance view of, of heaven and hell, um, which ties in, unfortunately, with the, the Protestant view of, uh, we talked about um, the penal substitutionary uh, view of the atonement, where uh, we're all guilty and we are all worthy of punishment, but Christ stepped in and took the punishment for us. And that's their view of, of uh, the atonement and of Christ's saving act, right? Um, And that is not the orthodox view. That is not the orthodox view. Um, Our view is Christ was risen from the dead, trampling down death by death, and how did he do that? Well, he became one of us, and he died, and went to Hades, and we'll talk about the meaning of that term. and, uh, you know, St. John Chrysostom, we were talking earlier about his most famous sermon, uh, talks about um, how, you know, swallowed a man and found God. So a lot of times our model, instead of being called like the penal substitutionary model, uh, it's referred to as the Christus Victor model, Christ the victor. He, he went down and broke open the gates of, of, of hell, or Hades, um, and we'll talk about why it's you know we use both of those terms, um, and that's indeed the icon of the resurrection that we use. We don't use we don't have an icon of the empty tomb, right? That's not our our icon of the resurrection. Our icon of the resurrection is on the wall behind you, right there in the middle. It is two caskets, one on either side. One on Adam, one is Adam, one is Eve, and he is taking them out of Hades into. Heaven, right? Um, he is he is releasing those souls who have been trapped there, waiting for his coming, right? So, um, let's talk a little bit about heaven first. And um, he described heaven. Where is what is heaven? What's the basic definition of heaven?
1: Where God
0: is. Where God is. God? Where Where God dwells specifically. the the location of the throne of God, right? Because the the main descriptions of heaven in the Bible for us come from Isaiah, and they come from Revelation, right? And they all talk about the throne of God being surrounded by all of those, the angels and archangels, principalities, powers, cherubim, seraphim, you know, six-winged seraph, born on their wings, continually crying, holy, (coughs) holy, holy, right? So, heaven is where God is. And as Steve said, hell is described as where God isn't, right? Now, there have been different views of hell based on different cosmologies throughout the history of mankind. What is a cosmology? Study of the cosmos. It's a study of the cosmos. Basically, it's a vision of how is the universe set up, right? So, for an atheist, who doesn't believe in anything except what they can see, what they can hear, cosmology is simply a study of the the, the stars and things like that, right? Um, for us as Christians, for Jews, for the Greeks, cosmology included not only this plane, but, the you know, it's the entirety of existence, right? Not only what we can see and hear, but heaven, hell, those kind of concepts then fall into cosmology. You know, you remember... A, at one point they thought the spheres were points of light on a glass, or, or the stars were, were points of light on a glass sphere. And there were seven spheres surrounding the earth. You know. Uh, these are these are cosmologies, alright? These are are descriptions of the structure of creation. Alright. So um, for Orthodox Christians, what we hear most of the time during in the prayers and in scripture is what's the word used actually to describe heaven
1: the kingdom of god
0: well it's the kingdom of god okay but uh for example when the thief next to christ on the cross says remember me lord in your kingdom christ says today you will be with me where paradise paradise so for for us as orthodox Christians, heaven is actually remember that Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden of Eden, right? So here we have the resurrection and it's him pulling them back in. It's basically as ortho, is that heaven for us is being allowed back into the garden of Eden. Why? What did Adam and Eve have in the garden of Eden, Eve, Eve, Eden that we don't?
1: Communion with
0: God. Communion with God, exactly. So we view our brokenness as the brokenness of our communion with God, and our our, our view of heaven is restored communion with God, right? So basically we're entering back into paradise, all right? So um, on the other hand, there's the other places, okay? Now he talked about... Um, some people, you know, view view it as a two-story house. Some people view it as a three-story house. There are actually, and and there's many views of of um, people. You know, there, people will say that there are various levels of heaven, uh, but and some of the fathers even Saint Irenaeus said that that um, you know that there might be degrees of heaven, but yet. Christ tells us in one of the parables, remember the parable of the, the workers in the vineyard, those who worked at the last, they get the same reward, right? So if heaven is restored communion with God, then it's either communion or it's not. So there aren't, there's not really a consensus. There, there wasn't as much talk about levels of heaven as there are different areas in hell. Okay, now hell we use kind of as an all-encompassing term in English. All right. There's some other terms that um, we're going to talk about. Sheol and Gehenna are two terms in Hebrew. All right. Describing usually two different places. Sometimes they're conflated and sheol is used to describe both.
1: I have- Oh yeah, no worries. No worries.
0: <laughs> sorry. Okay. Yeah, no worries. So, um, but we in in um, in the Greek cosmology, we talk about these these two actually are equated to and in the Septuagint, which was written about two hundred BC, right? And it was the Greek Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures, right? Sheol is often called Hades. Okay, that's how that's translated. This one is not translated any differently than the, than Gehenna, but it's sometimes equated to the Greek concept of Tartarus. Okay, now what's the difference between these two places? In the icon of the resurrection, he's, he's, it's Christ went to Hades and restored the, sp- the spirits who were there. Okay, Hades is a place like, uh, is always described in um, kind of the Greek mythology especially, as a place, not necessarily punishment, it's the place where everybody goes. And then from there, you're either sent to um, some place like, you know, for example, remember in, in Gladiator, he talks about if you find yourself in a riding through the, the fields um, and the sun is on your face and, and you're riding all alone, don't worry, you're dead, you're in Elysium, right? Elysium is a term used kind of for a Greco-Roman concept of heaven, right? Um, but, and then on the other hand, you have Tartarus, where people are specifically punished, right? So, he's in Hades, and they've been trapped there because it took the sun to come and break down the gates of hell. Now, we say hell. The King James Version of the Bible is unique in that it uses hell to translate all of this, right? So, it'll just say hell, which has provided a lot of confusion for a lot of people, Um but there is a distinction between the actual place where where the dead go versus the actual place where they're actually punished.
1: All the dead go to Hades? Or just the ones that aren't in communion with
0: them? Well, before Christ, all the dead went to Hades. Okay. Okay? But Christ broke down the gates of Hades. Right. So, so for us as Christians, no. Um, in the Dormition icon, for example, and in the, in the in hymns about the Dormition, we talk about Christ directly receiving the soul of Mary into his into his arms, so there is no kind of waiting place. Sometimes Hades now is is almost uh, equated with purgatory, for example, you know. Um, and we'll get to an unfortunate kind of there's a there's an Orthodox version of that 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 some people like to. Um, well, we'll get to that. So
1: there's technically no Hades now, but Christ.
0: Okay, so here's part of the problem. Here's part of the problem. And we've talked about this before time versus timelessness. Mm -hmm. Right? So, where do you know, we know that for us, those who have passed on before us, are waiting for the general resurrection. Right? At least to us, they are because we're still stuck in time. And so that's the only way we can think about it. Now, and so what's been said is that those who are. You know, those who are going to be rewarded with heaven will be given a foretaste of that while they wait. But really, again, this is one of the reasons we call everything and almost everything in the church a mystery. (laughs) Seriously. Because how are we to know? And there have been, you know, we'll get to that too. But, But yeah, really, really, I mean... What happens to the soul after death, and that's really what we're talking about. And that's and uh, so Sheol um, is is basically Hades, right? Gehenna. Jesus actually mentions Gehenna, right, as the as the place of burning, right, and he says those who will be punished will be sent to Gehenna. Now Gehenna is an actual place. You can go to Gehenna right now, if you get on a plane, and fly there. Okay? Gehenna is the transcription of um, the Valley of Himnon which is a valley by the, the old city of Jerusalem. And it was viewed as cursed, because it was said that, in, in Jewish tradition, it was said that the followers of Moloch performed their child sacrifices and burned them there. So, Gehenna has this history in Jewish tradition of being a cursed place of burning, right? So, when Jesus refers to that, he's referring to this place they all know and nobody wants to go, right? So, yes? I've heard a similar version of that, but the way it was described was that it was like... Trash dump for Jerusalem. I've heard that too. That it was yes. always burning. Yes. Because it was just yeah. now, burning refuse. Yes. Now there's there's uh, the, what I read earlier this morning. I mean, uh, what I read in my extensive research was
1: <laughs>
0: that there was there's really nothing to confirm that view, but that okay. is a, that is another possibility as well. So okay. so but everyone who was Jewish would know Gehenna was a bad place and it was associated with burning. Right, so um, so, um, so when, when Christ wants to, to describe a place of burning punishment, and think about our views of hell. What are our views of hell? You're caught in a sulfur, you're, you're inhaling the, you know, it's just like being caught in a bunch of fire. Maybe not necessarily in the fire and burning, but when you're too close to a fire and you're, you're, you're inhaling the fumes... It's almost, you know, if you're lucky when they burned you alive, you would die from suffocation, right? Because the fumes would get to you first. Um, in fact, when some of the saints, that what they would offer to do is, what they, would, they would offer to strangle them first and then burn them. And they would say no, so they'd go ahead and burn them without strangling them. And most of the time, it would, it's, it's, cause, it's smoke inhalation that kills you. Before the actual flames, so. Um, so yes, there are, there are references in Revelation I know. Yes. For the Antichrist, and then there's a few others that I can't no specifically remember where it says they will burn for eternity, and, and That's, I just can't remember. Let's talk about that. What they're really referring to. Let's talk about that. Okay, what does it mean to burn for eternity? Sounds bad. It is. <laughs> its like a really long time it is. Well, now keep in mind the difference between Eternity and sem- uh, Eternal and Sempaternal Sempaternal is a long long time It's all of time Eternal is out of time So it's almost like you're frozen in, in this one moment of time And that's your existence
1: like
0: Being wrong. burned
1: <laughs>
0: Right So The orthodox model that he talks about is, um, you remember we talked about um, St. Gregory, I don't, we haven't maybe talked about him in this class, but St. But, uh, Gregory Palamas, okay? St. Gregory Palamas. And St. Gregory Palamas uh, talks about the, di- the difference between the essence of God, essence of God, and the energies of God. Okay. And the essence of God is unknowable, but we do know God by his energies. Right? And the model that we use a lot of times for that is the sun. Right? Um, it's really interesting, I found out a, a while back that, that um, a, a single photon of light that starts at the center of the sun may take a million years to make its way to the surface but then once it does, it takes eight minutes to get to the Earth. Wow! It can wander around in the sun for a million years, but then once, once it gets here, once it gets to the surface for us to see it, then it's eight minutes. Right? Okay. So it's like we can't know where, where that photon's been. You know, we can't know the whole... Tr- that's the, kind of like the essence. Mm-hmm. But we know its energy because we know once it leaves it and, and hits us, how do we know the sun? by its light and its heat, right? Okay, so imagine then, you're in the sun. Okay, so here's the sun. And my art is always horrible, so. Okay, so this is you in the sun, right? Now, imagine a situation where the sun feels great. Like when we leave here today you go out in the sun and it comes shining on your face and the heat feels good and, and the light, right? Especially if you've been in the darkness but you've been seeking the light, right? You've been trying to... Imagine if you were in a cave and you were trying to find your way out and then all of a sudden you saw and, and emerged into the sun, right? That's a, that's a situation where um, you would... You would welcome the sun. You would bask in the sun. You would you would you know, you would love being there, right? Imagine though, there's situations where, and there, you know, there's sad, Sadly, there are people who are born with um, a genetic uh, disorder where they they burn immediately in the sun. There are children who have to be kept in the dark um, or in dimly dimly lighted rooms. Otherwise, their skin blisters and peels. Okay. Or imagine that um, you've been in the sun and imagine what it's like to get in your car in the summer in the the hot vinyl seats, right? Uh, um, Or you've just had your eyes dilated. How many of us want it like walking out in the sun from the the doctor's office and all of a sudden, you know, okay? So that same sun can either be a blessing or it can feel like a curse, right? Or if we're already sunburned. We sure don't want to go back out in the sun if we're already sunburned, right? Okay. So, heaven and hell are both being in the presence of God, but it's our reaction to that that determines whether it's heaven or hell. Right? If we love God and we seek his presence, then we're in heaven because we want that communion with him. If we shun God, if we think we don't need Him and yet He's there all the time, then His energies burn us. An example I thought of while actually while the video was playing was, you know, you see two people in love, right? You can take that one of two ways. You can be very happy for them and and you know and and, and feel good about that, right? Or there's the other side. What if you're jealous? Then that same love that everyone else is rejoicing in is a poison to you. Right? And it's nothing to do with them. It's what's here. Right? Jealousy, envy, greed. Right? They're all us wanting something from someone else. (coughs) You know, but they're all based here. They're not having to do with somebody else doing anything to us. It's our own broken communion with God. It's our own twisted nature that creates jealousy and envy and greed. Right? Hell, you're rich. That's great. I'm happy for you. You know, it's like the widow going and she finds the coin. Right? How many people would be happy for it? I'm I'm glad. Thank God. We thought you were going to starve, but now you've got money again. Versus, well, I wish I had that much money. And don't we all do that? And one, you know, we we all go from one side to the other all the time, don't we? You know, well, they didn't do anything to deserve that. Well, apparently you didn't either, because you don't have it either. So you know, but we we turn on ourselves, right? We we ruminate on our own shortcomings, and we can either um, pray to God and, and hope He helps us with them, or we can. Uh, we can be jealous, we can be envious, we can be greedy, right? But it's it's being in the presence of the same things. So, yeah, you know, your friend wins the sweepstakes. Well, you can either be really happy for him, or you can say, well, I wonder why he'd give me any. He's got all that money, he didn't need it, he should give me some. Right? That's heaven and hell. And what's more important is, that is heaven and hell, and it's not just something after death, is it?
1: No, it's here now,
0: too. It's here now, too. The kingdom of God is at hand. Mm-hmm. So every, every time we, we experience one of those, we experience heaven and hell here and now in this existence. The only difference being it's within time right now, and we, we still have the opportunity to change the outcome, versus once we pass... That's a fixed. It, we're fixed at that point because we have no more time. We're out of time. So um, that's heaven and hell aren't something that we, we look forward to. They're something we experience now, and we see that in every. We see that in people around us, don't we? Um, Father Anthony is going to talk about that here in a minute. Well, okay, so earlier I mentioned that there was there was an unfortunate... There's, there's an orthodox theory that you may hear about. And I just want to address it and get it out of the way. <coughs> and it's called Toll Houses. And it's this theory that... And, and they try to support it from the fathers and this, that, and the other... That once somebody dies, then for 40 days they're still around. And then after 40 days... Uh, two angels take them and they take all their good deeds and put them in boxes and they take them through 20 different toll houses, each of a different type of sin and the demons, they have to find the right uh, good deeds to match each one and if they don't find a good deed to get them through that toll house, the demons take them to hell. Don't read anymore.
1: Well, is it um, universally upheld? No. Okay, good. No,
0: and that's why I want to tell you about it, just to say. Is
1: it old? Is it upheld by some? Still?
0: There are mentions of it in some of the fathers, and and for- there okay, there are certain monasteries around the country uh, that were founded by a particular elder from Greece. Okay, and he did a good thing. He came over here and founded monasteries. But in those monasteries, they're, they're kind of devoted to him, and he believes in this, and so they try to spread it.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay? Um, it is not universally acknowledged. There's nothing in scripture about it. There's nothing in the funeral service about it. As uh, There's nothing like in the dormition about it. In fact, a friend of mine wrote two articles about, look, if this was important, it'd be in the funeral service. If this was important, it would be in the icon of the Dormition because she is the model for humanity. This is how we're all supposed to die. And instead, no, there's no toll house. She is taken directly into the arms of Christ. All right? So if you hear toll houses, just kind of grimace and nod. What
1: is the the 40 days, though? There is a significance
0: to Is it just... It's... I forget what that is because I didn't even want to read all of it. Yeah. It's just... Remembering Christ 40 days. Well, yeah, and I'm sure it's tied to that. 40 days in Lent. It's yeah. kind of like the, yeah. you know.
1: Well, 40 is also the number of completion.
0: Yes. Yeah. So. But but they, you're forced to wait around, you know, and that, that you can see what's going on for 40 days before then you begin your heavenly journey. Now, at 40 days, we do prayers at 40 days, like we just right. we did for Bishop Antoon. 40 days, one year, you know, etc., etc.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah because like Not you said 40 days is is a number of completion um, kind of two there are two non-orthodox books that that, that I always that uh, found kind of reinforce this this Orthodox view though um, one is uh, they're both by CS Lewis so if you you do want some light reading and they're both thin books um, one's actually a children's book uh, one is the the last uh, chapter of the Chronicles of Narnia. It's called the Last Battle, and he talks about. Um, it really has an interesting view of heaven and hell that ties into this view of, we personally our our you know our judgment is we accept God or we reject Him, okay, um, and then the Great Divorce. He specifically says this is not how I think this how I think it actually is. This is a metaphor. But there's some really good stuff in there, too. Um, Finally, before I play this last video, I want to uh, read a quote to you from Yaroslav Pelikan, who recently passed away. Um, He was a Lutheran most of his life. He was a professor uh, who studied Orthodoxy uh, in his career, and finally, at the end of his life, became an Orthodox Christian. Um, So this is from his book, The Spirit of Eastern Christendom and um, the Union of Florence that he refers to was a, a failed attempt to reunite Rome and uh, Orthodoxy. The failure of the Union of Florence meant that the East returned to its views, so here's the view of Eastern Orthodoxy, that the soul, state of the soul after death was not clearly defined in Scripture or tradition, and that therefore there was not an official Orthodox doctrine on the question, but only various private Theologumena. Theologumena uh, uh, are, are theological opinions, okay, which could not be proved from the norms of the church's teaching. In addition, the East maintained that whatever the immediate state might or might not be, the church on earth did not have the right to claim jurisdiction over it. So, basically, we're back to it's
1: a mystery.
0: It's a mystery, right? So. With that, I want to play you uh, this video. If I can bring it back up. Okay. The video quality isn't that good, but he's just standing at a podium, so don't worry about it. Um, but just listen to what all he talks about.
2: The gospel reminds me of George Bernard Shaw's play Man and Superman. And in one scene, a faithful old Christian lady is shocked to hear that the landscape through which she is happily strolling is not heaven, but hell. She becomes angry when she hears this, and she says, I tell you, she insists, I know I am not in hell because I feel no pain. She is then told that if she wants to see heaven, she can wander over the hill, and enter into heaven, but she's warned that those who are happy in hell find heaven to be intolerable So all the characters that refuse to come to the feast are like this woman, happy in their individual lives, their safe little cocoons, so satisfied with themselves they do not even feel their own pain. The pain that tugs away at their hearts, the fear of not having enough, the fear of being alone, the fear of rejection, the fear of death. They do not see these things because they are buried so deep. They do not know they are in hell because they have convinced themselves that they are not, that everything is just fine the way it is. All the disappointments of life they've tucked neatly away inside themselves and they live in vain hoping that it will stay put and never surface. And they say we feel no pain. Eventually, of course, they will feel it sooner than later perhaps as we see in the gospel many times. But those invited guests who refuse to come to the dinner are those who are happy in their own little hell. The last two Sunday Gospel readings have also dealt with this theme in different ways. But it is this, ignoring the inevitable. Our lives are not going to last. Disease is coming. We are going to die. What is our normal today will not be our normal tomorrow. I can walk fine just now, but a motorized chair with four on the floor may be waiting for me tomorrow. Everything changes. Everything dies. Are we prepared for that? Or are we walking through a fantasy that tells me that I alone, among all humanity, am not part of this cycle of suffering and death? Ignoring the pain within does no good. It must be faced, which is an authentic spiritual practice helping us to see and to face the truth of who we are and the pain we experience that's buried so deep. To reject it is insanity. The great Catholic mystic, B. Griffiths, reminds us that when we decide to enter the closet and pray, we enter the mystery of suffering love, our own and also the suffering of others, for we share it all together. Mine is yours, and yours is mine. We are all deeply wounded, and these wounds are hidden in the unconscious. Meditation, prayer, and sacrament open the depths of life, open the unconscious to the light of awareness. And I think that's the real reason we don't bother. We don't want to go there. We don't want to see what's there. We don't want to experience what is there. But if there is to be healing and transformation the kind that Jesus talks about, we have to let go of avoidance we have to stop resisting and allow the light of God to penetrate the darkness and reveal ourselves to ourselves and heal our broken hearts and wounded souls light, writes the great Sufi poet Hafiz will someday split you wide open it will now or tomorrow. But going within reveals not only darkness, it also reveals light. It also reveals beauty. It also reveals that God is already at work in cooperation with our divine core, the image to subvert our crazy resistance. God is cooking something up with the sous chef inside of us, putting together all the great big hodgepodge ingredients of life he finds in there into a splendid recipe called salvation. Everything becomes part of that delicious dessert that comes out of that oven. God is making something beautiful out of our lives, even if we don't know it. That is his nature. You know that show on the Food Network called Chopped? Anybody watch Chopped? I don't like that show. (laughs) But my son does. So that's where all these competing chefs open a basket and they find in there the most unbelievable ingredients to turn into some delicious dish, right? So it can get really crazy sometimes. What in the world can you do with pork rinds and turnip greens and fruit loops? You know, it's just impossible, right? But somehow, a couple of them manage to put something almost edible together and they pass on to the next level and one guy gets tossed out to the outer darkness, you know. And the two go on, right? Until one's left. Sometimes I just can't believe what they come up with. What if all the ingredients are horrible? What do you do then? Well, that's exactly what God is doing to us. That's what he's doing in our lives. Putting the pork rinds and the turnip greens and the fruit loops together. And coming out with something incredible with God everything is possible Jesus tells us. Everything in life goes into the bowl and somehow heaven comes out of the oven. This is the wonder of God's great compassion. No ingredient in life is worthless. So there's nothing to fear as Jesus said either from life or from death. It is a great adventure. If we enter into it we might actually enjoy it. How can we not watch this show until we see what wonderful thing comes out? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.
0: So, how do we find out what the ingredients are? What, how do we find out what's whether there's darkness or light? He mentioned three things. Meditation, prayer, and sacrament. What sacrament? Mm-mm. Confession. Confession. Right? We have to bring all this stuff out. Right? What happens if you have a wound and you just close it up?
1: infection.
0: And it kills you. Right? So what do you have to do, no matter how painful it might be? Clean that thing out. You have to open the wound as deep as it will go and you clean it out. And that's what prayer and confession are. They're us opening our wounded souls and cleaning out all the junk. And it's painful and it hurts. And like he said, we want to avoid it as much as possible. It's better. It's easier just to walk around. You know, no, I don't need to go to the doctor. (laughs) I'm fine. Right? Right? My sister uh, called me this week. She has bleeding behind her bursa, uh, from her bursa on her knee. So she was stuck at home until Thursday until they could do an MRI. Well, she went to the doctor, and, of course, this thing's swollen all up. And he's like, doesn't that hurt? She says, I get migraines. Pain is relative. This thing's an annoyance. Just fix it and let me go. Because I, you know, I got 13 Christmas trees to put up at the house, and five still aren't done. So, you know, because uh, she has parties on her house all the time. But, but you, know, he's, she, you know, she was on the right track. He's, she wants to, t- you know, she doesn't want to leave it. She doesn't want to hobble on it and say, oh, no, it's fine. She's like, stick a needle in there, drain it, and let's go. And that's the way we need to be with our souls. If there's some kind of pus-filled nastiness in our soul, we don't need to avoid it. We need to go to a priest and help have him help us stick a needle in that thing right and it's going to hurt and it's not going to be pretty and we're going to be embarrassed but that's confession that's prayer that's the process of salvation getting out the fruit loops and finding what all's there and letting god do his work
1: so that's all i have for today any questions